I just really want to like quickly say I love weasel words like immediately. <laughs> like that's so that's I'm pissed that that's not a wrestling term. Like, what the fuck? Why isn't that, why is why isn't like weasel words like the term for like wrestling terms? That <laughs> makes words. so much more sense. I feel to like me. that could be a tag team or a faction or something. Weasel words. Weasel words with like the faction. That's the faction led by John Silver. When for we sure. do <laughs> when we do uh, Workers World Wrestling Federation, there will be a rogue faction of uh, Wikipedia disinformation uh, agents called Weasel Words. I've decided. Oh, I hate them. I hate them already. Maybe go well the other fuckers too, right? I hate it. It's gonna be great. They're gonna be so hateable. Yeah. Welcome to WrestleSplania, the podcast where wrestling enthusiast Kath Barbadoro introduces the wonderful world of professional wrestling to me, Rachel Millman. Hi. 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 For some reason, I thought you were going to say uh, introduces like the wonderful, like you were introducing yourself as wonderful. And I was like, that's an interesting tactic. But, I uh, mean, that would be honestly like, I know I'm brash in a lot of ways. <laughs> that would be like a true spike for my self-esteem. I would... I would, that would not be good showmanship, but I would be proud of myself. If, if you want to introduce yourself with, have you ever listened to The Dollop? Yeah, I You know what Dave Anthony always does? He always goes on like a long, like bike riding, uh, <laughs> father of one. Like he just like goes and does all these things before he introduces Garrett. Your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. <laughs> that, yeah, it's the, it's the David Starr thing, it's but for da- podcha- podcast intros. <laughs> just like, I don't know what I would do. I would probably just immediately start to self-neg. Like her house is definitely clean. She does not have brain problems. <laughs> Look, theater of the mind. No one knows what your house looks like. It's spotless. It's spotless. They're, uh, the animals are well behaved. You know, everything is fine. <laughs> we I'm don't have ver- to uh, stop recording every 10 minutes to placate a whimpering dog or hissing cat. <laughs> or, or a yowling cat sometimes. <laughs> they were fighting real hard last time. God. Anyway, anyway, what are we talking about today? Uh, Yeah, we have a very special guest today um, who just released... Actually, yeah, when this comes out, it will be... Uh, Hot, two days old. Two days old. Uh, we have comic book author, or forgive me, graphic novel author. <laughs> I know how you people are. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Aubrey Sitterson's here. Aubrey! Hey! The wonderful Aubrey Sitterson. Thank you. There yeah. we go. <laughs> Leave it up to well, a man. Graphic novel, it's all the same stuff, man. I, uh, that, that, that stuff doesn't... Do people honestly get bug, bugged about that? No, do I, don't, I don't think anybody does. I hope oh, not. Yeah, right? It's stupid. No, it's it's comics. It's all comics and graphic novel or pamphlet. It's all that's the delivery system. The medium's comics, though. It's kind of like when people call it graps versus wrestling. <laughs> oh God, don't get me started about. <laughs> I would graps. say I would say it's less. I would say it's less annoying than that. But, <laughs> yeah, so I I feel bad. Like, okay, films and movies. Ooh, okay. how about that? It's films versus movies. Definitely. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, but graphic novel is a different delivery system. Like, it is a different thing, but it's just the format, right? Like, it's, um, I don't I, know. I can't, I'm just thinking, think like, about- people who say film and call their work films are self-serious, and people who say they make graphic novels are 
you I get the impression that they're self serious. Sometimes. Yeah. Like it's Alan a- Moore worships a god he wrote he made up himself and he writes graphic <laughs> novels. You know? <laughs> yeah. Alan Moore, fun fun fact though, Alan Moore wrote comic books and then they just got collected into graphic novels. Yeah. Like that like he you know, like so it's 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 a it's a strange thing. I don't know, this is a weird tangent to be getting off on, right? Welcome to our show where we go on weird tangents. <laughs> it's weird that the show about wrestling would have a pedantic discussion discussion <laughs> of something. <laughs> well, your book is very explicitly not graphic novel because it is called the comic book history or sorry, the comic book story of professional wrestling. Yes, ma'am. And uh it's great. We thank you for sending us a copy. We have like questions about it, obviously because you are oh, extensively goodness. here to talk about the book <laughs> um you've written comics before was this sort of like a passion project uh well you're asking me right yeah okay <laughs> just some other guy here uh yeah you know the book came about because my editor at 10 speed press which is our, our publisher patrick barb he reached out to me because they do this line of books the comic book story of blank right and they'd mm-hmm. done beer and video games and i think basketball was in the works and since then baseball has come out and he's a big wrestling fan and he wanted to do a wrestling one and he was actually uh he was a fan of my pod my old podcast straight shoot and so he knew that i was both a comic book writer and i was a big wrestling fan and had the bright idea to get you know to get the comic book writing wrestling fan to do the wrestling graphic novel. And, you know, it's funny because I, it's not something I would have pitched, honestly, um, because writing nonfiction is a motherfucker. It's just, it's just really yeah. grueling and difficult. Uh, so I never would have pitched it, but he reached out to me and I said, well, of course, of course I want to write that. Um, and mostly <laughs> um, because it's the kind of thing where I would have been angry if anybody else wrote it. <laughs> I, I, I did it out of spite, which is why I do most things. Um, but no, like I, I, I was really excited about it because, you know, I spent, you know, I've been working in wrestling in some capacity or another or around wrestling since like 2008 is when I started at WWE. And so I, I've been close to wrestling um, like professionally for like 10 years now. And, as a fan for longer, you know, much longer than that. And so I, it seemed like a really awesome opportunity to kind of have my final say, like, not that I'm not gonna ever talk about or watch wrestling again, but just to like condense it all down, like all those, all these thoughts and kind of like highfalutin theories about how wrestling works and what's great about it, condense it down into one big thing that you could hand somebody and say, here it is. Here's what I think about wrestling. You don't have to listen to years worth of a podcast or like fucking scroll through all my bullshit tweets or anything. <laughs> this is it. This is the whole thing. And so that was the thing that excited me most. Also, this this hasn't existed before you know like there's i have a shelf full of wrestling books right but they all focus on a single wrestler or a single promotion or a single era or a single country and the opportunity to do something that covers all of it right from the beginning all the way up like as current as we could get it and then also cover other countries and their wrestling traditions that seemed like an amazing opportunity and you know to to do it first um and to i don't know to yeah. get my foot in the door and, you know, have, have, have my say before anybody else gets to, which I don't know, 
that's the dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the dream. And then everybody else's thing uh, ultimately then becomes a reaction to your thing and why you are, uh, you know, wrong and uh, immoral for uh, even putting it out there. Right. That's <laughs> Most how of the that second. normally goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I original do wanna... sin is being first to the thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do want to go back a little bit, though, because you gave us a little bit of that, uh, of this when you were... Uh, just answering Rachel's question, but so what is your sort of trajectory as a fan? Like, I know you've written comics. I know you've worked in WWE. I know you've been a wrestling fan. It doesn't seem like all of those things have met until this book. How did you end up here? You know? Yeah. Yeah. As a little, <laughs> as a kid, I loved, uh, ultimate warrior and Brett, the Hitman heart. Uh, those are my favorites. I never got Why were super they your deep favorites? into wrestling. Um, Oh, great question. Uh, Ultimate Warrior is huge and wears bright colors and shouts a lot. Um, and <laughs> Bret Hart and Bret Hart has cool sunglasses that he gives to kids. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think those are the reasons why everybody liked those guys, right? Yeah, those um, are great but, like, reasons. I, I really appreciate like an honest answer to that. And I, like I love his work rate or his like passion for the arts of like he was big and I got free shit, I think is like a really earnest approach <laughs> to why you like a thing. <laughs> And I really appreciate and I'll that. And man, I'll defend, I'll, I'll defend the ring work of both of those guys up and down. Uh, Ultimate Warrior too, man. I mean, because I know he catches a lot of flack for it. But no, I mean, initially as a kid, I don't think anybody's paying attention to work rate or I hope you know. That's a miserable child. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, no. So I liked wrestling in the same way I liked I don't know just any of a dozen other interests I had as a kid. It wasn't really all consuming for me, but it was omnipresent because mm -hmm. um i think i'm a little bit older than y'all um but i was in high school during monday night wars and so you know nwo shirts and um stone cold shirts and dx like i don't know like every guy i knew did crotch chops like near constantly for like <laughs> the entirety of high, high school yeah or even still uh just I don't that know, was basically that, every fifth grade boy was doing crotch chops yeah absolutely and, like, middle school boys yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was the coolest. Like, why wouldn't you? Um, but yeah, so like it was around and I would watch it, but I wasn't religious about it. Um, I kind of stayed aware of it. And, you know, like a lot of people do, I, I fell off in college just because I got into other stupid college bullshit. Uh, I came back to it, though, in a real big way when I was working at Marvel Comics, which after college, I went immediately into editorial at Marvel. And I kind of realized that the way I was living my life, which was work all day, making comics, go out to a bar and talk about comics with people and then go home and read more comics wasn't healthy. And mm. it wasn't really, it was making, me, it was making me hate comics, which is the thing I loved. And so yeah. I, I realized I needed something else, like some other like nerdy outlet. And I just stumbled across wrestling one night. And I remember like, I've, I've tried to figure out what show it was. Um, but I, I, like, I, like the dates never line up, but I remember the segment. So like, I don't know, maybe somebody listening can help us out. It's, it was Batista and Eddie Guerrero. So it was like in 2000, I don't know, like 2005, 2006 mm -hmm. and Batista and Eddie Guerrero. Um, and Eddie Guerrero was trying to trick Batista into getting like a proctology exam or like his <laughs> prostate check. And you were like, this is and for me. I'm sold. Yeah. Yeah. It backfired. And then get this. Eddie Guerrero had to get the proctology oh, exam. And it oh. <laughs> because it was just so crass. And like, I don't know, like what you were saying earlier, it was earnest, right? Like th this was the gag and it wasn't, um, there was no obfuscation and there was no, um, 
there's no um, highfalutin attitudes about it. It was just a joke about a guy having a hand shoved up his ass, <laughs> and it cracked me up. And I, uh, shortly afterwards, a friend of mine got free tickets to One Night Stand 2006, like so the second One Night Stand where mm-hmm. um, where RVD beat Cena, which was amazing. It's still one of my favorite matches I've ever seen live. And I went to that, and I just went. I, I fell down the rabbit hole, man, and. Um, I became, I got super, super into it, like more into it than I'd ever been as a kid, um, which led to the WWE gig. Nice. That's awesome. I, See, I think that's interesting cause that's sort of like a backwards move from a lot of people because I feel like we sometimes talk about this where it's like people who were only into wrestling and only into what one thing, it's like they had to go diversify their portfolio, but you kind of have the inverse of that. And I think that's like a really fascinating perspective on it. I was a kind of flighty kid. Like I would, I don't know, like I would get real into something for like three or four months. I think that's all kids though, right? I don't know. Yeah. Like only, yeah. only weird kids do the same thing for years on end, I feel like. Um, yeah, I think you're no, kind of so lucky I, if you find it early, you know? Not everybody does. Right. Like finds their thing. I think this is kind of what you're hitting, hitting at. But like having all of those other interests and the other stuff I obsessed over helps, I, I think helps with a broader reading of what wrestling is, honestly. Yeah, um, and like I don't know, that's 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 something I try to bring to, tried to bring to this work, especially because it's in a comic book format, which is its own specific weird thing with its own requirements and limitations. But like being aware of all those things and how it kind of bumps up against wrestling and overlaps with it is, um, I think, one of the most valuable things about um, the approach that we took on it. If that makes sense. Your sort of like way into wrestling as an adult reminds me a lot of my way into wrestling as an adult, which is that like I'm heavily involved in my quote unquote career. You know, I had a day job for a long time and still work day jobs and stuff. But it's like most of my time is spent thinking about comedy, doing comedy, talking to comedians. And like that is like a very immersive world that I'm in. And I got into it probably like you with comics because I loved it and was passionate about it as a fan. But the longer you do it, the more uh, the sort of magic of that like initial fan experience kind of goes out of it because you have a more like academic approach to it. And when I found wrestling, I was like, oh, my God, this is another thing I can immerse myself in that still feels like special like that. Um, And the sincerity of it, I think, is a big part of it. And there's a point in your book where you mention this of it is like simultaneously incredibly campy and incredibly over the top and yet 100% completely sincere. And that is such a rare combination. And I think that's what makes wrestling appealing to not just people who liked it as kids, you know? I mean, I'm a prime example. Yeah. I would say just because like I wasn't into it at all. And it was just, I also, because at the time when we watched that, because we watched the first thing I ever watched was Omega Jericho was just kind of like. Oh, neat. That was one of my favorite matches. That was, one of my, was, that, was that this year? That was this year. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was one, that's one of my favorite matches of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. That was it the was first like, thing you watched? Yeah, it was like mid-January, oh, right? Shit. Yeah, yeah, early. Yeah. It was early, early January. January, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and like, because I just like, at the time, I was like, I need to find a way to engage with th- things sincerely again. Because it's like, you can only, basically, you can only absorb the world through layers of irony at this t- point, or you lose your mind. Right. Yeah, so like, I need to engage with something sincerely. I need to like, lose myself in something. I think that's part of what drew me to it. Another, the fact of like, just like, it's fucking fun. It yeah. was so fun. 
It's an interesting thing, you know, like we're talking, like we've all mentioned it now, like the sincerity and the honestness of it, right? Which is fascinating. And this is one of my favorite things about wrestling is this duality because it is super sincere and it is super honest because, you know, you're paying to scream your head off at this 40 something weird American, or I guess they're both Canadian, just these lunatics just beating the shit out of each other. Um, And like, that's what you're paying for. And that's what you're fucking getting. Right. Like there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. But at the same time, like wrestling is an art form that's built like from the, like the ground level up on deception and duplicity and confusing you about where the lines between fact and fiction are. So it's, it's both really, really sincere and honest, but also the most duplicitous form of entertainment (laughs) Like that, that I can imagine, really, you know, like I think like con game, like carnival, like like rigged carnival games are probably a little bit more dishonest. But like th- <laughs> people don't talk about those as a form of art, you know. Um, so it's I don't know, like it's it's one of my favorite things about wrestling, this duality between, um, like honesty and falseness, and also beauty and ugliness and crassness. It's a yeah. it's 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 a strange thing, and I love it. Yeah, there's you know, it's totally, you know, it goes back to all that. Um, Barths and stuff like the sacred and the profane like completely uh I I think that's interesting though because it is a con and that seems to be a governing principle of your book and how it's organized as you you always make sure to remind everybody the entire reason this exists is to make money and to trick people and that's like <laughs> that is why it is happening but it's also you also make the point that and I didn't really know this um but that it's been sort of acknowledged as a work almost through its entire history in some form at some level. So it's very honest about the fact that it's trying to trick you. It's a willing suspension of disbelief. And that to me is like fascinating. Yeah. But even within that, you know, they, the it's, and this is one of my favorite things about wrestling, right? It's like these constantly shifting goalposts of when it became false, right? And you yeah. see people do this all the time. And people like, I don't know, like Jim Cornette or whoever, who I like, I'm a Jim Cornette apologist, but he's just like the, um, he's, I don't know why I feel like the need to get that out there. Just uh, <laughs> everybody knows. I, I think he's great. He's super important uh, in wrestling history. But, um, you know, he's kind of the foremost example of like proponent of this right now where people talk about, Oh, well, you know, in whatever year, whatever arbitrary year we've chosen at this point, you know, in, in 1983, people still thought wrestling was real. Bullshit. Right. No, they didn't. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> no, nobody, people have known it's not real like for a hundred years at that point, you know? Um, but like, that's the constant shifting of goalposts in order to tell people, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're seeing right now, this is fixed and this is rigged and this isn't real. But man, a couple decades ago, that shit was nuts and you wouldn't believe it. And you know, we like, it's a way of building up nostalgia for this stuff and then using that to promote it. I think the clearest example of that was when they were doing, um, the, the two triple H, um, undertaker matches at WrestleMania where like they build it as like, these are, these are the last of an era. And these are you know the last <laughs> standing guys from the attitude era when wrestling was real and it was raw and it wasn't fake and shiny and high, like high def, like it is now. Like, so even in acknowledging the work and that it's a con, they still kind of constantly like try and pull the rug out from under you and, and blur the, the, the boundaries so yeah. that you're left kind of not knowing how much of what you're seeing is real. It's great. I don't know. I'm just babbling at you about why I love wrestling. But yeah. Like, that's what this show is. Yeah, it's that's totally yeah. fine. Completely. <laughs> yeah, I've, but like it's, it's the con thing. Like, that was – that was. I'm, I'm really glad that that came out to y'all as um, kind of like a guiding principle because that to me – like when I, when I kind of learned that, when I figured out that, you know, that's – 
everything about wrestling, right? Like, you know, the athleticism and the in-ring storytelling and cutting a promo and like all that stuff is great, but all that stuff is what's in service of is a con, is of a trick, right? Like once I learned that, that it's a lot more, wrestling has a lot more in common with like stage magi- stage magicians or con men or something like that. It was kind of, for me, it was kind of, it felt like the key to kind of unlocking everything about like how to look at wrestling like that, that I really do think that that's key and foundational. If you want to have a serious look at professional wrestling and maybe, I don't know, not everybody needs to have a serious look at professional wrestling, I guess. But, but for me, I wanted to, and that really, um, was crucial. I thought that makes sense to me. I reading this, um, I often thought about, um, like, and this is going to sound like a very unfavorable comparison, but I often thought about like government propaganda and how propaganda works, where you talked about like the revisionist history of, oh, this used to be real, you know, uh, oh, you know, Andre's never been body slammed, like all of that stuff that it's it's constantly looking back and like reimagining this picture that was never really real. And then at the end of the book, you talk about that with like Daniel Bryan in the WWE and sort of like WWE commodifying their own descent. Like this whole sort of, I guess it's, I guess what I'm saying is writing a book about the history of professional wrestling seems incredibly difficult because of how by nature slippery it is. It's all supposed to be tricking you. So how did you, that's such a huge undertaking. Like how, how did you figure out what your focus was going to be? Like, did you have a governing principle for what this was going to be about? Yeah. Like how do you fact check? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, so yeah, those are great questions. So, um, in terms of research, um, like I was fortunate enough that when Patrick came to me about this, I, from just years of being a fan and doing the podcasts and like retro episodes and watching old stuff and shoot yeah. interviews and just all that shit. Like I knew enough to know, like I'm, I'm going to give you like the wacky, um, was it Rumsfeld who said it? The, uh, I knew enough to know what I didn't know. I knew the known unknowns, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, like I, I was able to do my outline, um, in terms of what this thing was going to be and then go seek out specific reference points to fill in the blanks of what, like what I needed to brush up on and specifics that I was missing. Um, so I was fortunate in that regard. Um, in terms of, you know, fact checking, like that's really tough, especially in the early days because it, you know, like it, it was much more, you know, people knew it was not totally on the up and up, right? Like as early as like 1911, people were saying that Gotch Hackenschmidt was not legit, right? So <laughs> this has been a thing for a while. And, but it was still much more guarded. It was still much more protected by the mm-hmm. the people who were actually running these, like the wrestlers themselves and the people running the the show. I tried my best to, when things were in doubt or when things were not, you know, 100% clear about whether it was true or not i tried to do you know like i don't know wikipedia editors call them weasel words but i like i don't know i, I didn't know any other way to do it right yeah. like rather than to just acknowledge that people say or you know like reports the time said this you know like um wrestlers in the 1880s claimed that it was worked even then right was it i don't fucking know it might have been worked before that but that's what wrestlers say and that's as much as we have to go on so i tried to be honest about what i didn't know and what was kind of murky still as for guiding principles you know i so a real big pet peeve of mine about nonfiction work right whether it's comics or documentaries or anything else 
um, prose novel or prose nonfiction books is when it's anecdote instead of story, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and this is called the comic book story of professional wrestling, and it really is meant to be a story. And what I mean by that is, you know, anecdote is a list of things that happened, and that can be interesting in and of itself, but it's not a story. A story necessitates curation by the storyteller in terms of like what material is being included, why, what order it's being presented and how it's being presented to give you the same hit you get off of reading a novel, right? Which is that you get to sit down and um, exist and ruminate on these themes and these ideas, these larger ideas. And, you know, they're ideas that maybe they aren't, you know, maybe they're questions and maybe they're kind of murky in and of themselves, but that I thought was crucial. And so Prior to doing any of this, I kind of hammered out what I thought um, our themes and really like thesis statements were going to be, right? And mm-hmm. a couple of them, like you've already you've already mentioned, right? Like one of them was just this idea that wrestling is a con, and that is crucial to understand, right? That's why it's our first of those interstitial pages, right? Because I just thought that was so important for people to really get before we got into the meat of things, right? Uh, another was that wrestling's always been the same. Right. That there was no like there's no demarcation point where all of a sudden wrestling became this worked thing overnight. Like, no, like going back to the carnival days, which is really when professional wrestling, as we understand it now, began. Like it's been the same since then. It's worked the same way, though the way it's been expressed has changed, obviously. Um, And then the other one is, you know, and there, there are a bunch of minor ones, too. Right. Like the role of Vince McMahon was something I really wanted to, like, explore and look at because he is such a polarizing, fascinating, and important figure in wrestling history. Mm. Um, But also this idea that there are these recurring themes and occurrences that just pop up again and again in wrestling. And I think it's endemic to what wrestling is, right? Like the fear of losing your title, the fear of the title going elsewhere, right? And like whether it's like a real like um, uh, double cross, right? Like where somebody actually loses their title, like a legit like shoot, or whether it's something that's totally worked, like CM Punk taking the title and leaving the company. Like this, these are um, recurring um, tropes and like, memes in like the proper sense of the word right like not (laughs) not like static images with sans serif font on it but like (laughs) but things that like reoccur in um pop culture and um begin to carry a meaning in and of them in and of themselves um so yeah i don't know does that make sense i I lose track of my ablin sometimes i'm sorry it does i um (laughs) it's very very clear how much passion you have for this form and this specific project what are some of the things that had to be tragically left out? Because like, there's only so much that can go into this book. One of the so yeah, and there was a lot of that, and like that, like, and I'm already bracing myself for. Um, so we're we're the day before release right now when we're recording this, and so uh, I've I've been for months now. I've been girding my loins for what I know is just going to be a flood of furious people online because <laughs> I left. Because I left out blank, just like whoever yeah. the fuck their fa- glacier, like how could how could you not include <laughs> glacier in the book, right? Or people are upset because like all in isn't in there. Well, motherfucker, I wrote this thing a year and a half ago, right? Like <laughs> it was it wasn't an option. Um, so yeah, like the guiding principle that I tried to follow was if it didn't fit into this narrative, which I I established first, right? If it doesn't fit in this narrative, if it doesn't. Um, prop up and explore these themes and the, the thesis statements, it gets cut. Um, and that sucks. And it was really difficult. Um, some of the things that didn't get in, um, I mentioned him once already, man, I am a big Jim Cornette apologist. And as important as that guy is in terms of establishing kind of like the, um, 
what became the modern mold for a manager, right? Like you don't get Paul Heyman if you don't have Jim Cornette, right? Yeah. And uh, as great as the Midnight Express were, um, Midnight Express and Jim Cornette aren't in the book. Um, they just it, it didn't fit, and I didn't have a I didn't have a place for them. Um, and what else? Um, Ernie Big Cat Lad, I think, is super <laughs> important. Um, he was he was a great wrestler in and of himself. In and of himself, he's a former football player, but also he was the first black Booker in America. Mm. Um, he was the he was the first like, and this was this was significant because. You know, I'm sure people listening to this know what a booker is, but he was calling the shots and he was deciding who won and lost matches um, in Bill Watts's Mid-South territory, which is also significant and really interesting because Bill Watts has this reputation because of the character he played as being this really um, awful, racist, good old boy. Um, and yet he promoted um, uh, Ernie Ladd to the position of booker. He um, he pushed and promoted a ton of black stars, right? Junkyard Dog and Natural Butch Reed and Iceman King Parsons. So like um, those are uh, those are some good ones. What else? Um, I don't know. Is there stuff that I didn't include that pissed you off? Um, I mean, I like looking at this book, right? It's, uh, let's see, how many pages? 176, 170, pages. Yeah. 170, yeah, with no index. And it's like 140 years of history. So obviously there's going to be a lot of stuff that you can't explore. And I, I learned a lot from it um, as like a newer fan, but there was definitely stuff like personally, like I was really bummed. There wasn't more stuff about Joshi in there and like the role of Joshi in why wrestling looks like it does today. Like there are certain things like that, that I was just like, Oh, I really wish that had been in there. Like there were not a lot of pages about, um, like women's wrestling and how that has changed over, over the years. Um, I do really appreciate though, like when you're talking about this, um, particularly like the race stuff you did include in here, this again, a theme that comes up in a lot of wrestling, um, the sort of the foreign heel or like using, uh, an, an ethnic stereotype to either draw people of that ethnicity to that person or to ignite the racism of the dominant audience. And I appreciate you including the fact that that was all, no matter how progressive it looked for money again, yep, this is right. a con. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about, I don't mean to interrupt. Can we talk about the, um, the women's wrestling stuff? Cause this is something I actually, um, uh, it came up with a with a friend of mine who read the book, and I think it's, um, I don't know, like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like you're attacking me, but I, I do want to, like, I do want to explain a little bit because, yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Like, there's there's a you know there's a page or page and a half about Joshi wrestling, right? Um, but there's also only a page about um, there's only one page about the four pillars in Japan as right. well, right? Um, and like it was it was really difficult because. You know, especially regard, and I actually talked to my editor about it early on. You know, when I sent over my first outline, he's like, "Oh, well, do you want to do, um, you know, what's what's your plan here? You know, for covering women's wrestling? Do you are you gonna co- are you gonna do an individual chapter all about r- women's wrestling, or are you going to intersperse it in the pages?" And I made the decision to kind of intersperse it into the chapters mm-hmm. um, because I felt. Um, I felt like making like the separate, um, yay, women's wrestling chapter was like kind of marginalizing in its own way. Sure. Um, yeah. And, uh, and it, it separated it from the larger narrative arc of wrestling, which I also thought didn't do it, do, do service to women's wrestling or to the, the, the narrative arc that we we're trying to create. Yeah. So, um, as a result, you know, like women's wrestling kind of pops up here and there throughout the larger history of professional wrestling and it doesn't get, 
as much credit or much as much attention because historically it hasn't gotten as much credit or attention. Right. And right. so like I could have, you know, like I could have gone off on like I could have delved deeper into the Joshi stuff. I could have delved deeper into any of it. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But like the tough thing was, you know, for instance, in because we're talking about the Joshi and I like, think the Japanese wrestling chapter is a real good example. Like the narrative thrust of that chapter is all about the foreign menace, right? In terms yeah. of both, you know, the role that Japanese wrestlers played in America. And then when they went back to Japan, the role they cast Gaijin wrestlers in, right? And that was really what that was about. And so while Joshi wrestling is super important, it's not as it, it doesn't fit into that. Like if I had just gone off on this thing about how great all Japan women's wrestling was, which it was, and it's amazing. It wouldn't have, I don't know, it, it would have felt it, it wouldn't have contributed to the narrative, you know. Um, and it was tough. It was it was a, it was a tough. It was it was a lot of tough decisions in terms, of especially of how to approach women's wrestling in this thing. And it's something we talk about a little bit because, you know, in the history of wrestling, women's wrestling has been marginalized. And so, if you do an honest accounting of the history of wrestling, well, then women's wrestling does end up feeling marginalized because of that. Um, sure. And it's I don't know. It's it's a it's it was a tough call. It was something I really struggled with, honestly. Yeah. And I do think that like, um, I appreciate you not giving it its own chapter. I don't think that would have been sort of that like would have been lousy, month. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Women's History Month. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, it like the, the whole book. I mean, again, you have so much um, history to cover. I'm imagining that putting it together organizationally was challenging enough as it is. Like, again, there are I, I think that depending on what your thesis was, you may have organized it differently or given more time to certain things and, and less time to other things. But given what the themes of the book are, that makes a lot right. of sense to me. Um, you know, just personally, I would have liked like, you know, like in the in the Japanese chapter, there's like you talk about uh, Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. Like we don't really get like a similar story about all Japan women's wrestling. And like, I, I understand like, why it wasn't enough. included, but I would have been, but I would have been excited if that were in there. That's all. Right on. No, I, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, but this is the thing, right? Like this is what I've been bracing myself for because it's, it was just impossible. It's only like 170 Absolutely. pages. It's a huge, it's a huge comic book. It's, you know, um, I think a lot of people who maybe aren't comic book fans don't realize like 170 pages, that's a year's worth of work for the artist, Chris yeah. Moreno, yeah. Um, who is amazing. We haven't talked about him yet, but he's amazing. He's a, he's my co-creator and he's a crucial part of this book because he, um, he's so good with caricatures and there's like hundreds of wrestlers he had to draw for this thing and he had to make them all look unique and look like themselves without looking like, um, like light boxed traced <laughs> like right, likenesses yeah. of themselves right and he's so good at it um but yeah it's an enormous amount of work so but even just the sheer pages, just the sheer amount of pecs he had to draw different pecs i'm amazed. a lot of beats man a lot so of much meat i bet you he knows all about traps now too if he didn't prior to <laughs> <laughs> i really liked the continuing theme he had throughout the book whenever he showed a shot of an audience member that it was like the same audience member throughout the years that was I so smart, that, right? That was like That's a very, 100% very. Him. I, I wish I could take credit. It was for that. a super sweet him. little uh, sort of like throwback to like this is how this has always been, and it also kind of reminded me of when I can't, I cannot for the life of me think of the comic. I think actually, no, I remember it kind of reminds me of in the comic book of Watchmen when there's like the panels that mirror each other. It felt similar to that, and I thought that was a really great, great artistic choice. 
it's a cool thing um, about comics, the way you can do these types of callbacks, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Because you're choosing these shots. And he did a lot of places too. Um, he did it with the um, – you know, both in the Lucha Libre chapter and in the British wrestling chapter when they're we're talking about like weight classes and the importance of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same shot. It's just um, it's Admiral Mont Evans in uh, the British wrestling and it's Salvador Lutaroff in uh, the Lucha Libre chapter. Dude, here's something. You're ready for an Easter egg? I haven't revealed this anywhere yet. This is a WrestleSplainia exclusive. Yeah. Splainia exclusive, as I call them. Um if you look, it, once you get into like the more modern scenes, including the front cover, you can find Chris and I cheering and screaming our brains out. Oh, in, in, oh, that's yeah. awesome! It's super fun. <laughs> I don't know. It's very, it's it's very, it's very nerdy and goofy, but I love it. So, what do you think was like the what was the era you were sort of most like well versed on before doing this, and what was the one where you were like, shit, I'm really gonna have to do my homework for this part. Yeah, um, you know, like I think obviously like the stuff I was most familiar with was the current, like was the stuff I lived through, you right. know, so like, starting in the 90s, like in like the last two chapters of the book, really. And like um, and, you know, the 80s as well. But I was, you know, I was a child during like like a small child during all that stuff. And so um, I had to go I had to go back and find some stuff about that as well. Um, you know, the I knew Japanese and Mexican wrestling, but I had to dig deeper for it. Um, like I, I definitely had to dig on those chapters just cause I, you know, um, it's an America, it's an America centric book, um, right. for a couple reasons. One is it's for an American audience and, and mm-hmm. I'm an American and also wrestling is, um, has been, and like some people call it an American art form. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's been practiced and done so many different places. I feel like that's a little weird to say, um, but it definitely has its origins in terms of its modern iteration in America. And, you know, the number one wrestling promotion in the world um, for decades now, without even a close second place is WWE. So it's, you know, it it shouldn't come. I don't think it should come as a surprise to people that it's America centric, but since we only had a limited amount of pages to cover all these other global wrestling traditions, I really wanted to make sure I did those right as well. So that required a lot of research. And then, um, honestly, like the earliest stuff, um, like, like the first couple chapters were really difficult to research as well. Um, just cause there's kind of like a paucity of information about it. Um, pos- is that how I, did I use that? Right. I think paucity? you did. It's a dirt. There's a dearth of information. About there you it go. As well. Yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, so for those, I had to do a lot of digging as well. And it was, you know, look at the old newspaper articles, which is super neat because like, you know, in the old days, the newspapers would not just write up the matches themselves, but they would like send a reporter to report on guys training regimens and things like that. So you can find a lot of these, like these old newspaper articles still. Did um, you have to do the microfiche thing at all? I, di- I didn't have to do the microfiche. Th- oh, microfiche. I was hoping you could Thankfully. have like a true um, crime novel moment it's, while making this. It is this. really fun. I used to work in a in an office where we had to use that uh, yeah. for like old, uh, I worked at a, uh, the registrar's office and for old transcripts, we had to use that. And it always felt like I was solving a murder. Exactly. It was very exciting. Also, we are all showing off the fact that we're very 30 by talking about microfiche because cool. some kids are, <laughs> Because people are going to listen to this and be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hey, am Um, I doing okay? You're doing great. You're doing great. And I hope you didn't feel like I was like putting you on the spot with the Joshi stuff because it's like. Not at all. Okay, good. 
I really, I really enjoyed the book. I didn't feel like I, yeah, like it, you asked. So I was like, that was my one thing where I was like, I wish that was in it more, but like, Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned it honestly. Cause it's, it's something I stressed over and you know what, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I should have included more women's wrestling stuff. I don't know. It was, it was a tough, it was a tough call. It's super tall, right? Like clarity of clarity of message and what the direction of this thing is while also doing right by marginalized identities. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's hard work. And maybe I didn't do it perfectly. No, I, I think that like, I appreciate you explaining your methodology for it. I think it makes a lot of sense. And like, like I said, like, it's so much in a very small book. You have to have a governing principle and that governing principle has to leave stuff out. Like it's just, you know, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't feel that way. I just wanted to No, sure. I didn't. And I, yeah, I apologize. I hope you <laughs> look at us. I hope you didn't <laughs> feel like I was being defensive or combative. It was really just that I wanted to explain that there was a thought process and like yeah. whether, I don't know whether that thought process is valid or not. That's anybody's guess. But like, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't uh, who a, gives a shit. Who gives yeah. a shit about Joshi wrestlers? It's, you know. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I also feel bad about not having more on the four pillars because they were crucially important. And, you know, and like I didn't um, we didn't get into Noah at all, which is also yeah. like a thing in Japanese wrestling history. But, you know, in terms of, like taking like a broad, like a really broad view of it, it's not quite as important because they've now been kind of sublimated under um, under New Japan, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's I don't know. It's. It's tough. It's editing. You know, it's editing. It's tough. Well, it's also, I think it's important to say that it's the comic book story and it's not the comic book history. Mm. I think that's a good distinction, too. And also, like, I've talked to people about this before. You are like, when you are about to, sorry to be gross, but when you're about to, like, birth a creative baby, you are just like. That's been, way less gross than what I was expecting. Yeah, me you too. Are like, <laughs> uh, when you're about to jizz a creative <laughs> nut, um, when you're about to birth a creative baby, like, you have had this shit pent up for way more than nine months. Like, right. you're just kind of ready to get it out there. And, like, you can, I don't know about you, but, like, when something like that happens for me, like, I get in my head, I think only about the criticisms that can occur instead of, like, you know, the principle that, like, what is it? 93% of the audience wants you to like achieve and win and everything like that. Like nobody wants a bad thing. Is that, where did 93% come from? I think I, I think I literally heard it during like, yeah. Right. Okay. I think I heard it in like theater. I like that. 93% of the audience is rooting for you. That is, I, I'd never heard that before, but like, I appreciate that. Oh, I have to live my life by that principle. (laughs) Otherwise. None yeah. of them are online. No, They're all like just normal people that their is, life. and I don't want the Juice Robinsons of the world are rooting for yeah. you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, if you ever notice this, like every single like Instagram person who is famous is always like cakes at least one time a week, and is like, I should really acknowledge the nice people more because it's like, but you know, you can't help but tune into the people who are being shitty. Absolutely, and yeah. maybe they're shitty with a purpose, but a lot of the time they're shitty for the sake of being shitty. They have bad lives. Yeah, that's like <laughs> that's the thing I've noticed. Like on Twitter, if anybody's ever like mean to me or whatever, you just click over and see you just their see life their bad. whole shitty life right there for yeah. you. That was like a and so I, uh, when I moved out to LA, I moved out for a WWE games job, right? And I worked in I was doing interactive marketing, so like all of the social media and all the web stuff for the WWE video games. First at THQ and then 2K, and man, like. It sounds like it sounds hyperbolic, but it's not like the Venn diagram of gamers and wrestling fans. <laughs> is just 
it's just monsters. It's just monstrous <laughs> human beings for the most part. It's the worst because it's like it's a bunch of you know it's they like 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 a lot of like stereotypical gamers they lack any sense of empathy whatsoever right because they're used to being like they're used to being the the focal point of this entertainment experience where they just run around and do whatever the fuck they want they're used to being mm. the star and then like wrestling fans they all think that they're working heel and they all think that that's like a reasonable way to live their lives not just <laughs> and it's not just being an asshole right it is it, is, it was terrible it was the fucking worst and like a guy i worked with um like who had like been doing that stuff because you know, i was like having to run the forums and like oh. deal with people on twitter and facebook oh my god you it was should a talk nightmare. to nate about forums once we're Ugh, i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't want to talk to anybody about forums it was just the worst and they um and a guy i worked with he'd been doing it for a while he's like listen man here's something you need to understand all these guys who hate you they would kill to be you they Absolutely. are desperately jealous of you getting to play early builds of the video game and interview wrestlers and just generally not having a terrible fucking life. That is <laughs> that is that is real. That is 100 percent real. It's something I try and it's something I try and keep in mind when dealing with people online. But that's tough, man, because they're such dicks. They're such fucking assholes. This um, reminds me. Uh, I wanted to ask you because we, we were talking about it in DM the other day. You, yeah. you had a you have a pet theory about why uh, everyone who writes about wrestling. How's that better? Yeah, yeah, yeah better. Weird. Okay. Uh, you you had a theory about why people who write about wrestling all have like the most Byzantine and elaborate beefs with each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is I your theory about this? I think it's I think it's because so it's it's what we just talked. I don't know at what point you'll start using this. So I'll reiterate <laughs> it. It's. It's everybody. Everybody thinks that they can work heel and that that's a thing that you can do in the real in the real world. Mm. But working heel in the real world is just being an asshole. It's just being a dick. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's part of it. A lot of people <laughs> think that like they're being they're being clever and they're get they're working the marks and they're getting a rise and they're getting a pop and they're getting heat and like like they think like there are a lot of people who think that that's a real thing that you can mm. do outside of the confines of a wrestling ring. That's part <laughs> of it. And I think the other part of it is it has a lot to do with kind of the shifting nature. So it's a lot of it's just standard like gatekeeper nerd bullshit, but then sure. it's amplified by the fact that wrestling is so difficult to really understand. And so, you know, like if you're if you're a comic book, if you're like a comic book version of this guy, right? Um you're you're like the comic book nerd. It's pretty easy. Like comics, there's not a lot of secret in comics, right? Like everybody goes by their real names, and you know what everybody yeah. does, and you read the book, and you understand what it is, and it, there, there's not really anything obscured from you. And that's real different from wrestling, where everything is obscured and obfuscated and um, purposefully made murky and confusing. And so when you drop into that. People who need to be the most knowledgeable, the smartest, the people who, you know, see through, they see the gears, but, you know, they, mm. they, they see the way things really work. Um, it gets really contentious really fast because even those annoying dickheads can't reach a consensus together because there, there's not one to reach because it's all a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. I Because I think wrestling... I, I think because it is so immersive or at least potentially so immersive, it does draw people who have like a, a need to know like everything. Yeah. And and yeah. so like part of it is very attractive in that way. But then this other, you're, you're totally right. Like there is no way to know, like there is no right. sort of wrestling knowledge one can have because anything that is presented to you as legitimate is always 
both legitimate and illegitimate at the same right. time. Right. Like everything. That's the thing I feel like people need to be reminded all the time that anything you see, whether it's on TV or on social media or anywhere, that was a conscious decision. Yeah. For you to see that, right? And like, it might be real, it might not be, but it's still a conscious decision and that needs to be taken into account. I also think, I think like a third thing about it is, you know, wrestling at its very core is violent. It's, mm. it's a, it is a, it is a form of entertainment and it's a form of storytelling where every single problem is solved with violence, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, and that's, that sounds really crass and awful and, you know, toxic masculinity and all that. And it is. Um, because it is a performance of masculinity. It's a performance of hyper masculinity. Um, even, even when women are doing it right. Um, it's, um, and because of that, it, I think it breeds that similar mindset in fans sometimes. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not sitting here claiming that wrestling makes people violent. <laughs> I think that's, that's absurd, but I do think that it colors the way, like when you watch and you consume a lot of this stuff and you see, um, this kind of, worldview and this outlook, it does promote, at least in that arena with people talking about it, a kind of combative sense of engagement with mm. people. Yeah, um, combative. That is how I would describe most people who talk about wrestling. That's being very generous, right? <laughs> to, to say they're combative. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's not, and I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's, it's just, it's a real specific thing to get used to the rhythms of wrestling Twitter, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it is a very it's a it's a very interesting world to to witness sort of initially from the outside and now as an occasional participant. It's weird that wrestling Twitter was what made me feel welcomed to this in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I mean, how but, I feel about like, that now, but <laughs> not everybody's a monster, right? Like not everybody is, but it does it does have its own specific tone of voice for yeah. sure. It's 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 uh, aesthetic forms of uh, discourse and discussion are pretty specific, and it is it's just so funny because like I, the way people talk to each other sometimes it's like you are arguing about who fake fights the best, and everybody else in the world who is not part of this one specific niche views you people as the exact same nerd. So the <laughs> fact that you are like, this person is a, a charlatan. Like, how dare they? It's like, everyone else in the world, you are the same guy. Like, yeah, right. yeah. What is that one tweet that was like, I showed everybody two f a photo of this of Roman Reigns and I showed him a photo of Daniel Bryan <laughs> and I won. They all said they wanted Daniel Bryan and then you were like, anybody who looked at that is going to say, who the fuck are those guys? Right. <laughs> Why are you showing me pictures of muscly men? I don't understand. Well, also, let me say this. Like, and I am, like, Daniel Bryan's one of my top favorite wrestlers of all time uh if you did like i i have to question that gentleman's methodology because if you <laughs> if, if you take any like even non-representative sample of human beings on this planet like 98 percent of them are going to choose roman reigns over daniel bryan based on aesthetics alone yeah right daniel yeah, I, Bryan, mean, I would i would daniel yeah, bryan look looks like uh, the superhero coming out of the lair after being like a weird drunk with a broken back and roman reigns is hot like yeah duh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the thing, that's the thing i like about y'all's show and the way y'all talk about wrestling is you are um you are constantly aware of the value of sex appeal in wrestling <laughs> You know, well, seriously, you. like, and yeah, it's, it's like, and it's, it, y'all make y'all joke about it, and it's funny when y'all do, but it's, it's, it's legitimate, and it's, I think that people look down their nose at it, like, it's, I always thought it was the craziest thing, like, at the height of like anti-Roman sentiment, people say, oh, 
well, you know, the only people who like him are women and children. Motherfucker, that's more than half the audience. That is by <laughs> definition. That's more than half of the audience. Aren't children like 70% of this audience? <laughs> really? <laughs> it's crazy. Like, like, so like the idea, like a friend of mine was saying the other day, he's like, I don't understand why people hate Roman Reigns. He is big and sexy and kids love him. Like, isn't this, isn't that the point? Like, isn't, isn't, yeah. isn't that most point? And it, it is, but it's, you know, it's. Another fascinating thing about wrestling fandom, I think, is they have internalized more than two decades of WWE telling them that the people who run WWE hate wrestling. Like that's been yeah. the storyline since the late 90s and people believe it because they've grown up hearing that. And so they believe that, you know, Vince McMahon hates wrestling and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to push actual wrestlers and he only likes big beefy guys. And it, it's I don't know. It's a, it's an ahistorical view. It's just not true. You know, I mean, he loves money, <laughs> right? Exactly. which is the same thing as loving wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and honestly, it's just in, in this country, at least it's the same thing as loving big beefy guys because those are the ones <laughs> that make fucking money, historically speaking, you know? Yeah, I've I found that really interesting in, in your book. Um, like we Segway, said, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like uh, we, we talk about how, you know, this is all to make money and everything um, and it's all a spectacle. And even from the beginning, it has been recognized as a spectacle. You talk about um, that guy, uh, the Greek. I can't remember his last name, but Jim Lundos. Yes, the Jim Golden Lundos, Greek. the Golden Greek. And a lot of his appeal was that he was really handsome. Yeah, because that was when the wrestlers. I didn't know that until I was researching it. I was so thrilled when I realized that, yeah, they booked him to only face ugly guys just to highlight <laughs> beautiful this man was can you imagine like being a person with like normal self-confidence and then being like we booked you against the greek and like your whole (laughs) world comes crashing down oh no No! (laughs) my wife told me otherwise (laughs) but like there's that and then there's sort of like a um in in Japan and then like with the CM Punk and and ROH and Daniel Bryan all this there's like this sort of reactionary thing of like no we like the real wrestling and this right. appeal to um some sort of purer form of this that either previously existed or like could exist right. and which is all bullshit too yeah. right because like, like I love CM Punk as well CM Punk was my favorite wrestler for years um but there's nothing there's nothing real about anything that guy does right we've seen him in we've seen him in ufc we know that's not the case right, right? <laughs> it's, it's bananas it's uh but that's kind of i don't know it's it's the beautiful thing about it right it's like even the people who think that they know what they're talking about are still getting worked in one way or the other and that's kind of the role that um that's kind of the role that ring of honor you know occupied right that they were the they, that was the fucking tagline it's real wrestling for real fans and people internalized that and believed it and it's fascinating yeah i guess i just find it really interesting that even when you are anti-spectacle you are still playing into this idea of spectacle and there's no there's no escaping that wrestling is primarily aesthetic and uh and I like that because it allows me to feel really highfalutin when we talk about uh, who's hot. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. No, I'm with you, man. I uh, so I worked at WWE.com, and I um, I got spoken to about I got spoken to a, about a lot of things there, but uh, <laughs> one of them was that so we would have to every single week we would have to pitch ideas that would then at the time got ran up through Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon had to approve these feature ideas, which is, wow. I don't know, bananas in terms of corporate structure, right? Yeah. Like everything with the <laughs> McMahon family. Um, 
And which I don't know, it's probably not surprising if you know anything about that company, but um, we would have to pitch these ideas. And every single week I would pitch the same one because at the time, so I was working there from 2005 to 2008. And this was like the height of divas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, every year, like our, like the thing that did the most traffic and got the most clicks and most page views was summer skin. Do you remember what this is? Were you paying, were y'all paying it? Kath, were you paying attention to I that, was not. To WWE at all during that time? This was, sounds okay. like, so some, I want to guess what it is. Is it yeah, like yeah, this the is Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition of SummerSlam? You get a fucking cookie, Rachel. <laughs> uh-huh. Thank you. Thank every you. Year, every year they would take all the divas to some tropical location. They would buy them a bunch of swimsuits. They would pose in these like very small slinky swimsuits um, in these tropical locales and then we would have con hashtag content for fucking months of posting <laughs> these galleries and um people would just salivate over them and then this is my favorite part they would take those swimsuits and they'd they'd auction them off to people oh. <laughs> yeah it was really it was cats it was the- grossed out i'm rachel is shrugging <laughs> I, I guess this is the thing I, I wouldn't be grossed out if it were the actual women selling them and keeping the money. The Ooh. company selling them. Oh, yeah, the company sells. No, I sell my underwear on Craigslist. Absolutely. Somebody else does not sell my underwear for me exactly. on Craigslist. Thank you. <laughs> Same cut that they got off their T-shirt sales or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so, so here's what I pitched. Um, I said, listen, we need a beefcake portal. We need it desperately. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for trying. <laughs> Every week I would say, I would even say, I was like, listen, you don't even need to spend any money on it. Just let like, just let one of the designers design a landing page for like, you know, I don't know. I pitched like pitched under different names, right? Like W.E. Hunks or like whatever it is. And, um, beefcake portal. We would just, yeah. <laughs> like our beefcake portal. And we would just, we could just pull all the sexiest pictures of all these dudes. Just the ones we already have, just them with their fucking abs, like walking down the ramp or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and I got spoken to and told not to pitch that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't They're leaving in. money on the table. I'm no, telling you. I mean, that crazy. kind that I thought that was going to be my ticket to the top at that company. If I get them to approve <laughs> that, just like the amount of money they were going to make with people going to the website to perv out over these dudes was going to be absurd. And I like, I went and found like all these like, um, um, these like, uh, they were like gay wrestling fan pe- web pages of just yeah. like all of it. Was, I was like, listen, we just need to do this. People are already doing it and just perv it out over these guys. And I think that's like, that's why they <laughs> turned it down so much. No. Um, I was going to say that was probably your misstep because like that's the big thing about like Playgirl, right? Is that like Playgirl's whole conceit was that it was for women, but like, no, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) Like, like it it can be in a certain capacity, but like the majority of people buying Playgirl were gay men. Yeah. So like, I think that may have been your like mistake though is like making them acknowledge (laughs) that like maybe maybe men are gonna be into this and Mm. it's like no i don't i just said no to the proctologist on tv so (laughs) my argument was that that everybody was going to be into it because man i think that a big part of wrestling is and this touches on like all that beef that chris had to draw for the book man (laughs) a big part of wrestling is the fetishization of the male form absolutely which i think is which I think is really cool. Um, a, just because I like looking at big, muscly dudes. Um, and B, because same. It's, 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 what did, wait, what did you say? I said same. <laughs> it's impressive to look at the female, the, the female form too, but also the male form. It, they're all great, right? Um, 
I think that wrestling is one of the rare places in our culture where that's allowed and it's acceptable um, even for, you know, regardless of your gender or your sexual preference, um, you can ogle these men yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and just check them out and like, look, just see what they're working with, where they're wearing these like tiny little outfits. I don't know. I think it's part of it, honestly. I do too. And I, I think that now it seems like people are a lot more willing to sort of acknowledge that than in the past. But like sure. it is, it's primarily like it's aesthetics it's it's all like how you look is a huge part of your success as a wrestler granted there are a lot of other things that go into it too but um i i think that like it it's so odd to me i mean i joked about this when we started the podcast but like i i joked about how i don't understand why it is primarily uh a medium enjoyed by straight men um like i'm like i don't see what's here for you i think i think it's i think it's it's an excuse for straight men to look at and analyze and um and obsess over the male form in a way that's not it's in a way that's not socially acceptable in other pursuits like it's a separate thing than sexual to be like interested in you know that guy's got cool arms yeah 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 it doesn't have to be uh, a sexual thing at all Totally. Any bodybuilder, anybody just into bodybuilding, man, to talk about like the development of people's different muscles and like the symmetry of it and like what they've done to get, you know, like even just talking about like Hulk Hogan talking about like how big his biceps are. Like that's (laughs) fascinating. That's a, it is, it's a fetishization of the male form that it's, it's just simply not acceptable um, in, you know, in polite, polite Western society most of the time. And wrestling's an outlet for it. It's neat. I mean, one of our favorite questions that we love to ask our guests is what's your favorite muscle? So like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. What's what's your favorite muscle on you? And what's your favorite muscle on other guys? Aubrey, what's your favorite muscle on me, (laughs) on, on you or on someone else? Uh, on me, I really like my calves. I have massive calves. Yeah. They're, they're (laughs) like, as a kid, I was really embarrassed of them and I would wear, um, I'd wear long pants all summer because like I had these just big tree trunk calves. Um, (laughs) but now, um, like now they're so big that like when I wear like like skinny like like slim leg jeans, my wife gets real upset because like you can just see my calves through them, and I feel like that's the point. Um, <laughs> She's um, like, God, put those away. That's yeah. me in every <laughs> pair of jeans. Yeah, Rachel feels a lot of kinship calves. with you. Yeah, I'm feeling like yeah, I mean, you, you obviously you didn't see it, but I like stretched my leg out and looked at mine while you were talking about. It. I'm like, yep, I also you got know, big calves. <laughs> you know what won me over to it was um, I when I lived out in in Astoria in Queens, I went to this gym and it was like all these like crusty old, like, um, Italian and Greek guys. And um, a lot of them were like older, like bodybuilders. And, um, I would work out in the mornings before I went to work. And one guy came over to me and just started talking me up because I had natural calves. And it was the thing that had always <laughs> held him back as a bodybuilder because, you know, you can work out your biceps, you can work out your chest and your back, but calves, it's mostly genetic. Yeah. And so you either have big, nice calves or you don't. And I'm blessed. I'm blessed with these calves now. I was born um, with these bad boys. Have you ever seen the episode of MTV's True Life where the guy got calf implants? I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I have to laugh. That poor sap. That just abandoned by his god. <laughs> well, like, I mean, yeah, it's weird because, like, I feel for that guy that you just told me about, but the guy in that episode is such a piece of shit. Like, you remember when he calls the waitress chunky? Yeah. Uh, uh. I Not only do I remember that, I'm reasonably sure it has come up on our podcast before. <laughs> really? Yeah. The calf implants guy. 
Probably yeah, on an early up. one. <laughs> Probably an early one. I love the calf implants guy. Uh, I, I, I hope I, he's gone I, to I, therapy I, once in his life. Um, on look like on human on human on on wrestlers, the thing I love looking at the most muscle wise, um, I think it's the serratus. It's like those like it's those um those like feathery muscles that you only get when you're really lean, um, like right around your ribs. Like on the sides. Oh yeah, I know those ones. Like that's not my favorite wrestler body. Like my favorite wrestler body is like, um, it's like Dick the Bruiser, right? It's just like this big, monstrous, like lumpy, like beef slab, right? Like that's my favorite wrestler body. If we're like, if we're really getting nitty gritty and analyzing dudes' bodies, which I'm happy to do, I like. (laughs) I think it's a serratus. I think that's right. I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to look it up later. Serratus. We'll have to look. We'll have to look for that. I think I know which one you're talking about. I have to Google that guy too, because I'm just like, Nate, show us. Oh yeah, get an eyeful of Dick the Bruiser. (laughs) (laughs) Drum roll. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Oh, he's a big boy. Yeah, Damn. a big wide like boy. Five, he was like 5'7 seven or something. <laughs> That's so much better. Oh, I like because you think of like a big tall guy, but the no. fact that he's just like he's a rhino. I'm down here. Yeah, yeah he's like, rhino he for the, sure. He ran the Indianap. He ran the Indianapolis territory um, in the NWA, and he was the reason why. Um, Bruiser Brody went by King Kong Brody in a lot of NWA territories because ah. Dick the Bruiser would not allow there to be another Bruiser working <laughs> the territories. That See? actually brings me to another thing that I was surprised about in your book. I'm not surprised, but I didn't realize was the idea that um, you had to have a legit uh, real shooter as your champion so that nobody could go into business for themselves. Like, I didn't really think about that, but that was like a thing for a long time. It's a fascinating check and balance. It was, yeah. I mean, like, I, it was, that was a thing. For, so, you know, um, the last legitimate world title match was um, Stanislaus Zabisco going into business for himself on Wayne Munn and winning the world title. Um, and so that was like a thing that was on peop- on promoters' minds for decades after that, yeah. right? Because it was, it, they lost people. They lost so much money. Like the promoter who had decided to put the belt on Wayne Munn, who wasn't a trained shooter, right? right. Um, I think that for a really long time, it was that it was a way to protect your investment and to make sure that you know, like, and e- even if it wasn't to like fully double cross them, um, it was to make sure that they didn't get made to look like an asshole, right? Yeah. Like, like even if even if they went along with the planned finish, you know, if if the person they're facing out wrestled your champion, well, you just killed the drawing power of your champion, yeah. right? Um, and so I think it was, it, it turned into that. And then later on, like, you know, this is a big thing for Vern Gagne too, right? Like, and it's, it was one of the reasons why he didn't want to put the title on Hogan, right? Even though Hogan was massively powerful, uh, powerful, um, he was, but <laughs> popular, uh, yeah. massively powerful and popular in AWA before he went to WWF. Popularity um, is power. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. It is. Uh, and it was because he wasn't a he wasn't a shooter. He wasn't a real shooter. Even though he trained with Hiro Matsuda, um, he wasn't he didn't have like a legit amateur background the way that Vern and Nick Balkwinkle and the guys that Vern favored did. And I think it it became kind of like a badge of honor and a badge of pride and like um knowing that if somebody can actually wrestle that no matter what happens in the ring, they can do something believable, right? You don't get like and this is I, I think there's some truth to this too, right? Because it's, it's, an, I think it, we see this all the time in wrestling these days when something's not timed exactly right or something goes wrong or a, ma- a move gets botched and there are people just kind of standing around, 
and they're yeah. waiting with like the headlights look or my least favorite thing in the world when a move doesn't go off properly and they just set it up and do it again. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that like a commitment to legit like wrestling bona fides is meant to avoid. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. That makes least. a lot of sense. One thing I wanted to ask uh, reading this book, you, you have been a fan longer than Rachel or I, and this book obviously takes like a very long view of wrestling history. What are like some crucial things you think like a new fan of wrestling needs to understand in order to appreciate wrestling in uh, the the fullest way? Uh, yeah, that's a super smart question. I think one of them is something we've talked about a lot, which is that wrestling's a con, right? And that's like kind of that's I think that's first things first is the first thing you need to understand. It should color everything else you see about it. Um, you know, and, and tying in with that, you know, anything you see is part of the show, right? Mm-hmm. Even stuff that you think isn't part of the show. <laughs> it's part of the show, right? The other thing is that, you know, and I did this wrong. Um, I mean, I don't know. There's a wrong way to enjoy something. But if, you, if we're talking about, um, you know, Aubrey's guide to understanding wrestling, right? Um, I think something that took me way too long to understand and when I finally got it was like a light bulb going off in my head um, is that the only thing that matters in wrestling is the wrestling match. Right. Um, everything. Else, and I, I, I know a lot of people and I, that's like kind of a controversial thing to say, because I think a lot of people, myself included, I told you guys how I came to, I, excuse me, let me police my language. I told y'all how I, um, how I came to wrestling fandom. And it was through like a weird, like backstage proctology gag with Batista <laughs> and Eddie Guerrero. Right. Um, but I think what's crucial to understand is, you know, as fun as that stuff can be, as fun as backstage segments and promos and video packages are, you know, for me, the real, like all that stuff is just an excuse to have two people fight each other. Mm. Right. And for me, the real beauty of wrestling comes in the fight itself. Um, and I know that that's not how everybody views it. Some people view the the fights as kind of disposable and, you know, they're, they're really just there for the camp and the absurdity of it. And that's great. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think that by viewing wrestling that way, you're missing out on something crucial because the fights are the purest example of the magic trick of the con. Right. Mm. Where. You know, and just like any kind of so um, just like a magic trick where the audience has to be complicit in it, just like a con where, you know, like the old saying, you can't con an honest John. Right. The the, the person you're the mark needs to think that they are the clever one. Right. Yeah. Wrestling's the same way. You need you need an audience who's willing to be fooled and they're willing to be complicit in this deception. And the purest best part of wrestling is the finish of a wrestling match when you're screaming your head off when you've forgotten that what you're seeing is is fixed and it's not actually real um i think that that is so much more potent and powerful um than anything else you see on a wrestling program even like the best promos and backstage segments and stuff which there are good ones right um because all that stuff is just designed to get you there yeah uh the third thing i think to understand is that wrestling is um so it's a thing um cat i think it's something you talk about a lot it's it's connected to it that you know i've seen you talk about it that wrestling is meant to be enjoyed live right like we now in 2018 we view wrestling as this televised program but that's off i don't think that's accurate i think you know it's a live form of entertainment that's then recorded and then we watch it so it's different right i think that's crucial and tying in with that in terms of how we consume wrestling wrestling People come to wrestling from other mediums, right? Whether it's comics or TV or film or novels, whatever. And they want to apply the same metrics for success to wrestling, which I think mm. is – I think that's so um, horribly wrongheaded um, for you know for a lot of reasons, right? 
But the primary one is that wrestling doesn't care about any of that stuff. Wrestling doesn't care about character development. It doesn't care about plot. It doesn't care about um, satisfying arc narrative arcs or themes or metaphors. It's not about that. Wrestling is about one thing. It's about getting you to watch or tune in or show up next week, mm-hmm. right? So um, if you view episodes of a wrestling show as, as you would a television season, you're setting yourself up for disappointment because it's not what it's about. Um, and I think that I see people do that a lot of times because they're struggling and trying to understand wrestling and trying to wrap their brain around it. And I think that that's a, that's a dead end, right? The way to understand wrestling is, um, moments, right? And the building to specific, either satisfying or like soul crushing moments that make you want to continue watching. That's the only thing that matters to wrestling. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think there's like sort of a weird like debate going on right now about like whether wrestling is art or not. And I think that what you're speaking to with your last point is that is, is I think sometimes when people say wrestling is art, they don't really mean that wrestling is in itself an art. They mean it is like all of these other things. And that's not right. right. I I do think wrestling is an art, but it is its own art. It is not, you can't make those one-to-one comparisons and it's not better art just because it is more like a movie or more like a TV show or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the Roger Ebert thing, right? You grade something based on what it's trying to accomplish. And what wrestling is trying to accomplish is separating you from your fucking wallet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's it. And that's all you judge. And like, you know, in, in a, a broader sense, all commercial art is trying to do that, but it's also trying to do all these other things. Right. You know, like, whatever you're watching or reading like they're they're also they also kind of have some like highfalutin college boy or girl ideas about what their art is trying to accomplish wrestling does not and that's (laughs) kind of i think that's the that's one of the beautiful things about it i i do want to ask one more thing um so you you were very kind to us when we started our podcast and you told people uh if they liked your old podcast straight shoot they should check us out um You ran Thanks. there for yeah. Thank you so much. Of course, no. Yo, it, <laughs> honestly, it's warranted, and it's something. And it's, I was really excited to come on. I think I told one or both of y'all privately, but it's why I was excited to come on and do y'all's show because I think that we're really in simpatico in terms of how we look at professional wrestling, um, and I think that that's much more important than you know, like I don't know. There, there are podcasts with people on it who know a ton about right, who know way more than I do and can rattle off like dates and names and all this stuff. And I think that that's way less important than these kind of overarching theoretical things about wrestling. And I think that we, I don't know, we're on the same page. So I was excited. I was excited that y'all exist, honestly. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I think that's also interesting to hear you say because I agree. I think we have like very similar sort of understandings of what wrestling is. And yet our taste in wrestling yeah. is very different, which yeah. I think is really cool. Like, that we can have I this, think it's yeah. this, this, like we it's understand expected. it similarly, but like that doesn't lead us to the same conclusions, which I think is neat. Totally. Yeah. It sort of ties into all, you're all the same type of nerd thing you said earlier, <laughs> but in a much nicer way, right? <laughs> in like, a unifying way and not yeah, in a... <laughs> in like unifying way. Like, oh wait, no, you're all dweebs and no one ever, like every, ever since I started this, like every couple, like every time I talk to a friend I haven't caught up with in a little while, they're always like, so you're really into wrestling <laughs> now? Like, this is your thing? And I'm like, yeah, it's, I know. It's weird for me, too. But I don't know. I'm I, happier. I think something similar, I think, like, a really similar thing between, like, the approach I tried to take and the approach that y'all take is this idea that, you know, 
internet internet cri- criticism has taken a real hit in the past 20 years, right? And a lot of it's I think comes down to the fact that people think criticism is being critical and that's it. Mm. And personally, I think I learn a lot more and I find it a lot more interesting even though it's more difficult and this is, I think it's all tied together. It's more difficult to do it, but I also think it's more substantial and educational not to pick apart things you didn't like about a thing, but to explore the things you like and find out why they're good. And even to pick apart why people like things that they that you don't necessarily like. Yeah. And and I think that that's I think that's a valuable approach and it's one that is difficult. Um and it doesn't get as many clicks as like 18 reasons why Brie Bella can't work, right? You know, <laughs> but I, I think it's I think it's much more worthwhile to say, hey, look. These are all the these are all the things that are great about Brie Bella, and look at all these young girls who adore her, and why? Why do they adore her? Let's explore that. I think that that's um, I don't know. I think I think that's another area where we're in simpatico, and that sets a that sets us apart. That's why we're better. That's why we're better than everybody. That's true. Yeah. I think in a wider way, that's just like a more I guess wholesome way to view the world is like you know I can be annoyed with like K-pop stands all day, but like they're experiencing a joy I don't understand. Yeah. So why should I take that away from them? And I think like the thing that made me want to do the show is that I like wrestling. I don't want to. I don't want to do things that are going to make me like it less. Which is what it's kind of a miracle that you still like it. Yeah, it really is. Um, (laughs) Well, that's I. So you you did straight shoot for a number of years, and you had a lot of guests on. You said you you uh, became good pals with Roddy Strong. Who were your other favorite guests? And then you don't have to tell us, but I kind of want to know who are the worst guests. Or we can sucks. do it once Ooh. we're done recording. Once we're done recording, we can really yeah. do it if you want. Hold on. So I could definitely list some of my favorites. Shayna Baszler <laughs> was also one of my absolute favorites. Shayna's Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. She gets it, man. Um, she gets it in a really profound way. And even before, you know, this was. This is back when she was still um, fighting in UFC and she would do my show because um, I saw her at PWG shows all the time. <laughs> we became pals and yeah, she would do my awesome. show. Yeah, she's the best. Um, and she under, she's a perfect, you know, Vern Gagne would have loved Shayna Baszler, right? <laughs> um, because she's a legit wrestler, a legit catch wrestler. And she knows how to, um, she walks with menace, right? Which is another yeah. thing I think is really wrestling, menace. And, you know, there's a lot of ways you can achieve menace. Um, but being better and more vicious than everyone else is one of my favorites. And she's great at that, but she's, she's brilliant. And like, even as she was learning, so she was, you know, she knew catch wrestling, but she was still in the process of learning pro wrestling, Mm -hmm. even in kind of like the nascent stages of that. She, it just clicked for her and she loved it. Um, so Shayna was another one of my favorites. Um, I had a bunch of people who were just like, um, they weren't like, do you, do you want like, uh, wrestlers or just uh, anybody? I'm interested because, I mean, it, it's interesting to know anybody because I, I like finding out who's like, oh, that person likes wrestling. Yeah. Like, that's always fascinating to me. <laughs> um, so I had like a few folks who were, you know, they were fans who became guests, who became pals. Um, mm-hmm. Kate Foray, Make It Loud on Twitter, Twitter was really great. Um, Dustin Spencer um, was really good. Matthew Timmons. Um, they were some of my favorite folks to talk with um, on a regular basis about professional wrestling. Um Andy Williams from Every Time I Die, who now is also a professional wrestler. Yeah, we've really talked about good. him before. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. Rachel likes them and every time they come up on this podcast, I'm a huge asshole about it and give her shit. They're and I nice and would do the show. <laughs> <laughs> Andy would do your show. Andy would for sure do your show. I mean, Andy's great. 
Keith and I are friends. Andy and I don't know each other. Like, I've met him. But, like, I feel like Keith would do the show. Keith would do the show. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll <laughs> stop being mean about every time it's, I die. It's fine. It's fine. I'm taking this opportunity to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> this is your medium post. I'm yeah. like, hey, I just want everyone to know. I've been called out, and I apologize. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm into metalcore now. <laughs> no, I just, like, they're nice people, and they, like, yeah. you know... In especially because like I got into them, I like I heard of them in like 2005 when like everyone was a shithead and they expressively like advocated not not being shitheads, which is you know a rarer and rarer thing. Breath of fresh air for sure. So who are your who are your favorite wrestler guests? Oh, um, Roddy, Shayna, if she counts, uh, Tommaso Ciampa, Adam Cole was great. Adam Cole was really really good. Nicole Matthews was really, really good when I had her on. As well. I, yeah, I like her. She's fun. She's good. <laughs> now, can you tell us who the worst are? Or are you, I, I respect your uh, ability to define. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you all fair. I'll tell you all fair. How about that? Is okay. That okay? I'll tell That's you all, totally fine. Nice. So good. That's so <laughs> good. I love that. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I got a book to promote. I'm not trying to make any enemies right now. I'm trying to move a, some fucking units. I'm I, just saying, it's, he'll it's eat. Heal heat. We just talked about how that's not real <laughs> in real life. <laughs> um, Aubrey, where can people buy your book? Anywhere, man. Um, it's uh, it's going to be in comic book shops. So if you got one of those, um, even if they don't have it on the shelves right now, you can ask them to order it for you, and they will happily do it unless they are jerks and hate money. Um, it's available on all online retailers, bookstores. Um, also, if you want a signed copy, signed by myself and Chris Moreno, um, there's a – it's a long link. Uh, it's on my it's on my Twitter though. It's at Aubrey Citizen. You can order it from a shop out here um, that we're having a big signing uh, release party this weekend on Saturday, October 6th. Uh, there's going to be beers. There's going to be exclusive prints. Uh, Christopher Daniels is going to be stopping by as well as some maybe other special guests that I'm still locking down. Um, and if you can't make it to that event, um, you can buy your signed copy and they'll ship it to you. So a lot of options. That's awesome. Awesome. One more question before we go. Uh, Give our listeners some, uh, what are like three matches you would recommend our listeners check out? Ooh, okay. I know I'm putting Um, you on the spot and I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. I can come up with some. Uh, One of my all-time favorite matches is, um, and I don't remember which WrestleMania it is, but it'll be easy to look it up. um, Because I'm, even though I wrote this fucking book, I'm really bad with remembering like what events and years things happened at. Mm. Uh, It's, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. Um, and it's exquisite. Have you seen it? I don't think I have, no. I definitely haven't. <laughs> it would be weird that. if I were... It's really the, good. It would be weird if I were the person who has. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, think that, I think that that is a perfect match to show somebody who does who's never watched wrestling and doesn't understand wrestling and doesn't understand what it's all about um, because they are both at the height of their powers at a point. So I think it's like 2000 or something like that. And um, they're both excellent. And it is so clearly a battle of style versus substance mm. um and that's 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 very much the narrative of the match and it's it's both those guys at their best it's really really good um i think um i'm just gonna google um, kurt angle Shawn michaels wrestlemania to figure Shawn out michaels? Yeah. uh wrestlemania oh, 21 21 okay when yeah. was, was that 2000 no uh 2005 it looks like i don't know i could also yeah. be really wrong here but it doesn't matter. You'll find it. People find it. It's available places. Um, I would also recommend people watch. Um, oh shit! I would remember. I'm gonna forget which guys it is. Um, it's 
It's Sting and the Great Muda versus the Steiners. Ooh, that sounds good. In Japan, and those guys beat the shit out of each other. And again, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of dudes who are really, really good and um, would go on to do really big, different things. But this was them young and hungry at the height of their powers. It was really, really awesome. Um, and then the other one, oh, the other the other match I recommend to people. It was Daniel Bryan versus Nigel McGuinness. It was the final match of the final countdown tour, which was um, Daniel Bryan's final tour in Ring of Honor before he signed to WWE. It was also Nigel McGuinness's last match before he signed to TNA and became Desmond Wolf. And uh, those guys had fought a bunch over the years, and they fought in, I forget whether it was Hammerstein or Manhattan Center, whatever. It was the same fucking building. Yeah. Uh, and bonus, <laughs> so not, not only is it a great match, but bonus, when you see Daniel Bryan dive into like the first two or three rows of chairs, you can see a young Aubrey Sitterson scrambling to get the fuck out of the way and then take a, then a picture of Daniel Bryan's taint right on his chair. So. <laughs> Beautiful. A memory to last a lifetime. Uh, <laughs> oh, can, I give a, can I give another one? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Rock Strong versus Zack Sabre at, I think it was Don't Sweat the Technique, um, PWG. I've seen that one. It's great. Huh? It's really good. I look go. forward to watching that one. Aubrey, this was a delight. Yeah, thank you so much for joining I'm, us. Uh, I'm really fine. I could finally uh, be a guest on the Splania. Thank you yeah, for having me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We'd we love should, to have you back. Yeah, we should um, have you back. Maybe you should be the person to get Kath to like CM Punk. Yeah, we need somebody. Like somebody. Oh, man. I don't. And that's like, uh, we have a sort of... Sorry, what? can't blame you honestly like, <laughs> that's the like thing I, I feel like i wasn't watching at the time i need somebody who was watching at the time who was like into him i feel like i'm i would be an easy sell but we we gotta do it so yeah. we'll have we you back okay. um yeah thank you so much i think a learning to love cm punk playlist for y'all to watch Ooh. Ooh, that actually i was gonna ask you for it so we could put it in the show notes but we'll save it for when we do that yes one. yeah yeah do it but yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I know this is like your ninth podcast of the week promoting this. Thank you for uh, taking the time no, to talk point. to there's, us. There's one thing I'm, I love. It's talking about myself. So thank you. I'm really genuinely like elated and impressed with your energy levels with like this many podcasts you've done this I'm week so too. Much okay. So coked up right now. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very close to divorce. It's terrible. <laughs> well, uh, hey, good luck with everything. So, uh, <laughs> If you like our show, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleSplania, WrestleSplania on Twitter, at Gmail. Uh, hit us up, give us five stars on iTunes, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks Love for listening, you. everybody. Bye. Bye.